We're going to rethink the experience we create for candidates so it's equitable and accessible. And we're also going to basically, you know, motivate all of our team to play an active role in this work. It's not, it can't just fall on the shoulders of one or two people in our organizations anymore, like it has. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Arthur Woods, who is the co-founder at Matheson and the author of Hiring for Diversity. Arthur, what's happening today? Thanks for having me. Good to see you. I'm excited for our chat. Uh, You've got such a cool experience. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your career, your path, how you got to where you are right now, and then we'll dig into some questions. Sure. Well, you know, for me, I I started uh, my first couple of companies in college. I I had grown up in a single parent family, ended up um, in in school, was one of the poorest kids in my class. I came out halfway through college. uh, So it was a very interesting, you know, sort of uh, world that I was in at the time. And I I found myself resorting to entrepreneurship largely because I I felt like I was already breaking the rules and was kind of breaking the norm. You know, what what I really discovered was, you know, first of all, business can be used as an agent for positive change. I I really, I think, you know, in an early age, learned that we don't just go to work because we have to work. Um, We can go to work to make an impact. Um, Work can be a place that we find purpose. The other thing that I found was that Generally, you know, when when you're when you're starting your own effort, you know the ability to be your own boss and let your values be expressed in what you're building is is super powerful. So I sort of left entrepreneurship, landed at Google after graduating. I was um, you know there for a couple of years, and I got very passionate about um, first of all the whole idea of how our identities are reflected in the work that we do every day. So um, when I was out at Google, I was in the earlier days of, uh, of forming the employee resource groups at Google and um, helping launch uh, our LGBTQ research group, uh, resource group. And um, I had a chance to start one of the largest nonprofits uh, called Out in Tech, which is a large um, community of LGBT in technology. And I became fascinated with this idea that, you know, we, since we spend the majority of our lives at work, and work is not a place where everyone feels a sense of belonging and where everyone feels a sense of purpose and self-actualization. We have an opportunity, especially through the lens of what we build um, from an HR tech standpoint, to think about how we um, sort of transform the experience for people in their jobs every day. Um, so I had a chance to start, uh, co-found a peer-to-peer coaching software company called Imperative. And as I was selling into heads of HR and learning about how much they were struggling with diversity and inclusion, this was you know 10 years ago, I became passionate about this idea that we could uh, start to build a software that helps employers navigate uh, diversity and inclusion in a whole new way. And of course, with, with really interesting implications for leaders who are trying to be more inclusive. So I, I've, you know, three years into now starting this company called Matheson, and uh, we just closed the Series A and, and we're a diversity, equity, inclusion tech company. That's so cool. Well, it's interesting. So uh, we're at, you know, 170 odd episode of the podcast and the more and more people I talk in that sphere and we host the diversity inclusion summit last year, just to like begin the conversations. Cause it wasn't our 
uh, it wasn't our thing as in it's not our job that in that, but it's also our job to do that. Anyways, the whole point of what I'm trying to say is it's interesting to see over the past couple months, the evolution of it, much like tech mm. has evolved in over the past you know 20 years, how diversity inclusion is evolving. And so mm-hmm. I suppose through the work of tech and technology enabled companies, how are people approaching the, not necessarily the conversation of it, but the integration of technology through their HR efforts, their diversity and what are you seeing in that space right now? Yes. Well, so I, I think, first of all, as you've seen, DEI has gone from an elective to an essential category. And um, we're seeing that it's no longer getting bolted on by leaders and by organizations as this kind of one-time only campaign. I think like it once maybe was 10, 15 years ago. What we're seeing, you know, the major shift that leaders are making now is they're saying, you know, how we approach diversity, equity, inclusion has to be pervasive in everything we create, every experience we create for our people, every experience we create in our products for our customers. And, um, and honestly, the experience we create for people we want to hire. And so our focus, you know, in our, in our very first chapter of Matheson has been equitable hiring, you know, how, how organizations rethink how they hire inclusively, how they cast a wider net in their sourcing. Knowing that today, a record number of people are leaving their jobs, you know, they have many choices as to where they work. So companies that are taking a more equitable route are the ones that are honestly building a more diverse workforce. Can can I ask, obviously, there's the software side of that as in how you're doing it for others. But can you give me an example of how you're doing that internally, like how you're walking the walk? Because I'm really interested in that. Yes, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that. So, you know, we, we've had to turn the, the dial on ourselves first and foremost, because as a growing company, we have to practice what we preach. So uh, a few things that we've done, I mean, one, we have um, an assessment system that we call our equity index. Mm. It assesses 45 different um, parts of your whole hiring and talent processes to figure out what are you doing that's equitable and what are you doing that's not equitable. And we've gone through that index ourselves to map out where we have gaps, where we need to reduce bias. We use our own software to write uh, job descriptions um, more equitably and more inclusively. Um, We use our sourcing system to cast a wider net in our hiring. We have uh, training that we've done internally um, around unconscious bias. We're doing some interesting work now in pay equity, how how we ensure that we reflect salary ranges in all of our jobs and how we look at leveling for for our team to make sure that people are paid equitably. And so the great thing about this work is it's so multifaceted. It really applies to every single aspect of what we do. And we found that companies, especially growing companies, as I know that you've seen, oftentimes kick the can down the road and wait to do this work because they, they don't have time or they don't feel like they have the right insights. And it only gets harder as you wait, right? So we're really big on the early stage growing company embedding DEI at the beginning of their journey so that it's part of their DNA as they grow. I think that's my wife is in HR and and people and and she's leading a really cool company uh, doing cool stuff in the video game space. And and of course, she's Mm. on top of that. A lot of people are on top of that and using your software, the equitable HR to be able to use that as a lens. And I can see that people who want to do that will adopt it and say, hey, this is a great tool to amplify, to include these attributes into my process. That's right. That's right. That's the hope. Yeah. So I, I assert that you've got good authority now, like you're the person in, in the space, you're a person in this space. What was, what was it like for you when you had no authority, when you kind of had to like convince mm. people that this was a thing? And I imagine that there's still 
either HR managers who you, I mean, you don't have to sell them, but you can't sell them. They have to want to buy it. But yeah. what was it like when you're trying to like get people on board with this idea and you were facing resistance? And I ask because I assert that there are listeners who in their positions really want this. And then they have to convince their team members, their colleagues that this is not the nice to have, it's a must have. And they're trying to like make that mind switch. Do you get kind of what I'm trying to ask? Absolutely. I mean, I, I really love this question because, you know, I, I think of everything on the adoption curve. So there was a, you know, there was a moment, as you know, you know, not, not too long ago where there were a, a very few number of leaders that were the, the active champions of DEI. And uh, we would call it kind of in the innovator or early adopter mode. And I think part of the, what really happened and, and what catalyzed, um, what was catalyzed by the events of the last few years is diversity and inclusion became something that leaders all, you know, in many cases sort of reflected on and said, wow, I, I, I need to become a champion of this. And it really has to be reflected in the work that I lead every day. And I think we saw, so we, we've, we've sort of seen this work, the movement kind of cross the chasm to the, you know, early majority or late majority. And, and I think what, you know, what we found is sort of our posture in the beginning was not trying to force something that people weren't ready to hear, but instead to have a practical um, and kind of helpful uh, narrative around this is just start, you know, it's just good for business and it's not impossible. It's not saying that you have to actually take your eye off of strategic business direction to implement. It's actually, it can be embedded in what we do every day. And, and we didn't try to lead from a, a position of preaching or uh, prescribing instead, just being helpful. And, uh, and we ended up writing a book this last year, um, partly out of this kind of just desire to say, for the leader that wants to do this work, has a lot of intent, but hasn't had a chance to really translate it to impact. What are the, 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 the helpful resources and guides that we can lay out to people that they can act on immediately? You know, And, and that's always been our posture, not even try, trying to pretend to be the, the foremost experts or the only experts, just to say, we want to be helpful. And if you're someone who wants to make progress, I think it's totally possible. Um, it's just about getting the right insights. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, your background in education versus telling people or storytelling to communicate that, that makes sense to me. And one of the big challenges that I'm sure you see with people is, and just macro level is, it's hard to hire, it's hard to retain, or that's what's being said. And if we had to convince people that this is not just good, but it's good for business, but of course, we're probably in our own echo chamber. If you're mm. having problems attracting and retaining people, I would invite you to consider that there's potentially a different approach to hiring talent and that maybe your current approach is making it hard for you to hire and attract people. So Arthur, do you think that that is a valid statement for our listeners, no matter where they're at? Yeah. What's the definition of insanity? It's like repeating the same action, trying to achieve different outcomes or believing it's going to achieve a different outcome, right? I think it's the same. I mean, we, yeah, we, we shouldn't pretend that if we repeat the same action, it's going to somehow yield like a different outcome, right? So when we think about kind of what needs to change, especially when it, with our hiring, we, first of all, we look at the fact that our systems have been designed in a way where they've in many cases been inequitable. They haven't been accessible to all communities. An underrepresented job seeker who wasn't afforded the same mentorship and support and whose, whose resume and job profile doesn't show up the exact same way could be passed over or could experience a great deal of bias in the hiring process. Hmm. So we have to reframe, we have to really intentionally look at every stage of the way that we operate, right? We have to reframe sort of 
what it really means to be underrepresented. And, and this, it means a lot of unlearning, frankly, in order to get to a more equitable state. Um, and I completely agree with what you said, which is if we don't make any of these changes, if we don't have any of this reflection, we're basically going to repeat the exact same system that we've had in place to date. And it's going to likely mean that our workforce looks the same that it does today. So what I love seeing is, is organizations kind of boldly saying, we're going to do things differently. You know, We're going to re- reconsider those exorbitant requirements we put in a job that actually really lessened our pool to a very homogenous group, right? That wasn't very diverse. We're going to rethink the experience we create for candidates so it's equitable and accessible. And we're also going to basically, you know, motivate all of our team to play an active role in this work. It's not, it can't just fall on the shoulders of one or two people in our organizations anymore, like it has, right? Yeah. I, uh, what I took away from that is, well, one, it's giving more access to people. So access to new employees, yeah. more access. Uh, I think uh, creating that pathway and looking at the systems provide more access for current employees. But I think the undertone of this, regardless of what you brand your software with, because I get it, but just to take it apart, it's, it's, it's a way to innovate in HR. And I hate to strip away the like the real value of the real why behind it. Mm. And if you're looking to innovate in HR and rethink how you're doing things, and then the obviously benefit of that is that it's helping more people and doing gooder. Uh, but that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, but I, I also I want to be that. mindful that I'm not like preaching about it, but let's change the tone a little bit. So Arthur, if we think of your career, you think of all the cool stuff that you've been doing, you think of the work that you're currently doing, you're doing great for people. What are a couple of moments in your career that you totally got your butt kicked and you're like, whoa, okay, that was a really great learning for me, whether that's on the path of, of driving this DEI, whether that's through the path of being an employer or employee leading teams, yeah. whether that's as a, as a founder and, and CEO or co-founder, you know, what are some of those things that you're like, whoa, like that was a really great lesson for me as I've evolved? Mm. Yeah, I, I, you know, a couple things, you know, in, in, in my work, you know, and I think about, you know, I, I've kind of been at this sort of always at the intersection of sort of inclusion and technology, right? Uh, one of the mistakes that I've made is assuming that everyone sort of needs the most progressive and, and I would say sort of almost, you know, bleeding edge solution when, you know, it, it, I think oftentimes what happens when you have someone who's in this kind of social enterprise world who's thinking a lot about the future, right? Is they're reflecting on sort of where they want the world to be in 30 years. And then they're sort of going straight there instead of realizing that like, we need to bring people forward uh, from where they're starting, right? And sometimes that, that, that sort of bleeding edge solution isn't actually a practical, accessible system for the person that we're trying to work with, right? So I've definitely made that mistake of, of going way too far out and actually having ideas or solutions that are so heady and so impractical for people where they are, that it's been more about designing for the audience and the mindset of where people are today, right? So that's been one kind of key learning is, is sometimes being like too early or way too far ahead and then, you know, needing to, needing to refocus on, you know, where people are. I think there's another around um, just this, this whole notion, this is just a pervasive theme that I've, I've definitely seen is, especially in the entrepreneurial world, there's always this sense of urgency, right? And, and the, that urgency is driven by, you know, our, our growth targets. It's driven by, it's driven by sometimes a false internal pressure that we place on ourselves. And sometimes it's an external pressure. And I think the urgency can cause us to sometimes make short-term decisions that aren't right for the long-term of our ideas. 
And especially when you're trying to do social change work, I, you know, I think sometimes things take time, you know, and sometimes we can't rush for the sake of an external KPI. So I've definitely made the mistake sometimes of putting a lot of pressure in terms of rushing things and, and put pushing things to be faster when sometimes it's just taken patience for things to set in. Right. Do you have a specific example without, you know, throwing you yourself under the bus too much of when yeah, that you yeah. balance that short-term versus long-term kind of mentality? Yeah. I, you know, I, I've been in, um, I've been in organizations where we pressed on sales and growth so much that it, that it actually led us to almost like be bursting at the seams. Right. Mm. And it, and it was, it was like, we were focused on growth over quality. It just wasn't good for any, anyone. And it, it certainly wasn't good for the movement we were trying to lead because it was, it wasn't as impactful as we would have liked it to be. Right. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny that you mentioned those two things. So one is the the speed of decision-making the external pressure on yourself or internal pressure on yourself. And then the previous thought was are on that adoption curve and they seem like different flavors of the same thing. It's whatever you want in your agenda. And you're saying, Hey, like, let's go, go, go versus like, Hey, am I meeting someone where they're at? And that was actually, as we talked about strategic planning in the pre-call, I was going to kind of say that is leaders are often because they have to be several steps ahead of their people. And sometimes Mm. they move faster than their people can catch up. So you actually have to move at the speed of the slowest person to kind of like handhold them and make sure that they can do that vision. And so I think Mm. it's cool in the context of diversity is and inclusion and all that stuff. We know that there's people who are driving that forward, but we also know that there's people who are, you know, way slower. And I think that the real progress from a society standpoint is when we can get the bottom end of it higher up, Mm. like raise the bar for everybody versus have, Mm. you know, 4% of the world be champions and then other 96, you know, slow behind. So I'm interested to see how that translates. Uh, Thoughts? I I love that. You know, you you bring up such a good point, which is, you know, part of the whole notion of, of meeting everyone where they are is being inclusive. I think there are a lot of leaders, right, who... Again, I think thought leaders do this a lot is they go, they do go after kind of, again, that, that, that progressive bent. And oftentimes what that means is philosophically, there are people that aren't fully on board. And um, I actually don't like to see this about the DEI space when it, it ever feels polarizing or overly dogmatic that a, a leader who might be open, but might, might not be fully on board is all of a sudden turned off because they're thinking I'm getting called out or I'm going to get canceled. Or, you know, we have all these reasons we see leaders opting out of this work, right? And some of it is totally projected, right? So I, I, I love this idea of sort of meeting everyone where they are, helping everyone kind of make steps forward. And, and, and treating the work as though we do need everyone because we, tr- we truly do. And in fact, if we have a subset of the workforce that are leaders that, that aren't on board, it is, uh, it's detrimental to all of the work we're trying to achieve together. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that, like, as you talk about it, I think of kind of the divisiveness of the world, the like, I'm Pepsi yeah. or Coke kind of thing. And it's the opposite of what we want. Like we want to come to a, a happier medium because it's mm. not about me being right or you being right. Like this is the way to go. It's saying, hey, like how can we all learn from each other? And not to make that like kind of kumbaya, like globally. But I think that if we realize that you're going to die being right, that it's about, hey, how can we really evolve and gain from each other that will actually be able to make that progress? I think it's tough when 
there is the way to do it versus a way to do it and and seeing mm. that there's a net benefit from from everybody and that's why i really like you know i i was talking to somebody else on the same subject and kind of that like balanced scorecard is like, not that you have mm. to measure, you don't have to measure success of your business in terms of profits, but you can measure your success in terms of your business as, you know, are you balanced? Are people having a good time? Are they safe at work? And I think it's however you decide to measure your success is your success. And it would be great if more people took that measurement on a broader level that included more of those human things. But I think as you had mentioned when we yeah. started, it's getting there. Well, and I think that's the exciting, that's that's what we're probably most excited about in the space is that, you know, our whole mantra is that if DEI is as is, is essential as we now believe it is, it deserves uh, the rigor of the systems and metrics to help drive it, right? And if we think about how informal and it's it's been squishy and feel goody and you know which is all great but to date you know it has sometimes been the right thing for the world and not it hasn't felt like the right thing for business so our whole mode is let's build rigor metrics data into the into the model so that we are measuring this and managing it as intentionally as we do other essential business functions and then hopefully we can see the 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 link between you know DEI and the bottom line and that will make this work so much more sustainable when we can yeah. see that linkage. You know? Well, what, one of the things that just kind of clicked in, in my brain as you were talking about that is from a business owner, as an employer, you say, hey, I want uh, I want to hire people. I have a gap in people. What I don't think a lot of people might consider is they the candidates don't give a shit about your scorecard. It's their scorecard of, hey, yeah. do I like this place? And they are the ones who really hold the power. So if there's that misalignment between what you want and what your candidate or the people working want, then it's never going to work. So the alignment really needs to be on, hey, are we measuring success the same thing? Just because I send you out a survey once every 12 months, is that really what you want as your success? And I think that if we can get that meat in the middle, like we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. everybody will be more successful because people will be more fulfilled. There'll be more output and you'll have more, you know, creativity contribution from top down thoughts. I, I, I could not agree more. And, you know, that, and, and that's really the, the, the environment we want is that everyone feels safe to contribute, feels part of this movement together. Honestly, it's where diversity of thought shines because it's where everyone's contribution creates this collective mosaic of the community, you know? And we're a lot stronger together. And so I think that, you know, it's really for us where we see the, the linkage between diversity and inclusion, right? Which is when we include everyone, we have much more diversity of thought. We have, we, we're, we have frankly, the ability to innovate. Cool. I love that. So uh, one final question before I ask people where they can learn about you. Uh, how is the diversity at Coachella? Good? You having a good time? Ah, it's great. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And yes, I mean, I will say that, uh, I mean, my, my life partner's in the music industry and, um, you know, he actually uh, helps run a record label um, called 88 Rising that is focused on the Asian artist community. Awesome. And um, generally, like the music industry in many ways has a lack of representation, uh, especially across genres. And then the festival goer community oftentimes has a lack of diversity. So there's definitely a need even there, you know, to see the, the movement take hold, right? Yeah. You having a good time? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It hasn't started yet, but yeah. <laughs> okay. I thought it was a couple of weeks, so I'm excited. Oh man. No, 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 no. I'm sure there have been much cooler people here earlier, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I, I took a 
Coptic lens of your ar- armband. So I figured I'd ask. Oh, yes, yes, but, yes. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it's cool because one of the things, especially as we move into the world, is because you can see somebody's Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever, you're working with a holistic person. And I can tell from That's your right. LinkedIn profile, you know, you're just doing awesome stuff in the community and Thank you're more you. than just a, a co-founder and, and all that stuff. So I just, uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Where can they learn more about your tool? Where can they get your book and, and all the rest? Yes. Okay. So folks can learn about um, Matheson, uh, which is our DEI software, um, which helps organizations with their measurement, um, with reducing bias in their systems and expanding their hiring pipeline. That's at matheson.io, M-A-T-H-I-S-O-N.io. Matheson was the middle name of Alan Turing. So we named it after after him. And then folks can learn about our book, Hiring for Diversity at hiringfordiversity.com. And so definitely come and join the community. Awesome. Thanks, Arthur. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, Thank for, you for having me. This was this was a blast. Oh, it's awesome, man. No, I think it's really cool what you're doing. I think the more accessible that tools for diversity can be and not make it an exclusive thing. So the more inclusive inclusivity can be, the easier it'll be for people to realize, hey, it's not that daunting, not that scary, and that there's a huge ROI out of it. So I'm excited to see what Matheson does uh, for all the communities around the world. And I appreciate you, Arthur, for being here and chatting with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Folks, this has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I want to thank Arthur Woods, a guest today, who is the co-founder at Matheson and the author of Hiring for Diversity. Be sure to check them out. Be sure to check out their tools. And uh, whatever you do today, just have an amazing day. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for being here. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.